Champagne is also a blog blurb for podcast in three, two, one. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne or Band. Recorded in the Blue Box Studio with the songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. It was an adventure because I had to sort of mourn the idea that it's like this is the fourth time I've recorded this album from start to finish and someone has lost it again. Welcome to part two of episode 51 with AMS the Nerd King. You know, with every part two that I ever do, I like to switch up the format a little bit. So this will be kind of like the flashback episode where it's just a bunch of clips put together that focus on some of the things that we touched on that didn't necessarily make it into the original episode, but I felt were important enough of a conversation that they should be shared. So, this is the part two, and we'll talk about how I got into hip-hop, especially the Champaign-Urbana music scene hip-hop, how AMS recorded an album four times. We talk about his family history in the Champaign-Urbana as well as the University of Illinois, and his own place in the Champaign-Urbana music scene. And then we talk about what makes a good scene. Enjoy this part two. No, I, I, I think, you know, I, I kick myself for so many years for... Not not getting into hip-hop as much as I could. And one, of course, absolutely one thing is definitely not realizing that there is this whole thriving community of hip-hop in Champaign-Urbana. And yeah, I, I think it was, I was at, you know, Exile on Main Street and it was either like a record store day or something like that. And and Truth from Mother Nature yeah. was, was performing and and it's just like normally I just I'm like okay I like it things that's kind of good but but her storytelling like it was the words that just like brought everything in and I was like okay I I totally get it it's poetry it's it's this thing that just captures you and like draws you in and yeah. so a- anyway that was my little side side <laughs> tack there but it's just like there's so many beautiful things in this world that it's like we just have to give a chance to and like look at it and um you know there's so many there's many ways to skin a cat so to speak and and yeah we all get to the we all want to see a naked cat i mean that's what it comes down to um (laughs) so (laughs) no aptly put is it's within line yeah 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 The Over Under EP is the first release I've put out in six years. Across the course of that six years, I was in the I was finishing a 15-track full-length album that is now done. That will be my fourth full-length. But it was storied with studios having lost mastered recordings 
Uh, the album, like the album that I'm speaking of, the one that's going to be coming out, uh, is called Strange Days, Stranger Tomorrows. And it was finished. Uh, it was finished writing in 2014. Um, and across the course of six years, four separate studios that I worked with lost, deleted, or rather other artists that worked in the studios deleted it, copies and fully fully finished and mastered recordings of the album. It was initially supposed to be headed around, you know, to this same process and this same release about now, but we literally got almost to the top of that hill, again, Sisyphean reference, we almost got to the top of that hill and a studio engineer called me, must have been the last time before we got this recorded this time was, uh, I think 2016, he called me and he said, I have some very bad news. Our hard drive in the iMac failed overnight. And I'm like, and I fix computers for a living. So I'm like, okay, well, I can come by there and slap in a replacement for you. You all still have the backups, right? It's like, no, somebody unplugged the backup hard drive last night. And we make backups once a month. We had banged out this album recording two weeks, you know, and there were, I was like, okay, so it's, it's gone then. It's like, yeah, man, it's gone. And I'm like, cool, let me get my money back. And that was a story because the recording, because I had to, I had to harangue this studio to get my recording, to get about $2,000 back. I finally got it back. There was not a problem, Mm. but it was an adventure because I had to sort of mourn the idea that it's like, this is the fourth time I've recorded this album from start to finish and someone has lost it again. And at the same time, I had to be like, okay, we're in a mindset where we have to get this money back in order to record the album at a studio we trust. Mm. And, you know, after all was said and done, the album is done recording. We're now in post-production and uh, fun things should be happening from here. But mm. yeah, it's it's fun to be rapping again. Um, I've, I missed it terribly. And uh, Sisyphus, without being bashful about it, is definitely one of those songs that's definitely inspired or definitely intended to inspire mosh pits at Chicago rap shows. I make no bones about it. Okay. Bonus song time. Amos was kind enough to share the song Half a Life off of his upcoming album, Strange Days, Stranger Tomorrows. So, enjoy. Grow old in rap music. 1984 invested, 30 year solution. Biting pencil marks used to track his evolution. Nonprofit, odd logic, lanky nine element. Carbon based, one look killer, sonnet intelligent. Crooked spine prospect, digging for daylight. Pigeonhole to what his battle cry should sound like. Boom bat barbarian, caught in strange affairs, notebook versus notable, daily life of Sisyphean stairs. So what do we have here? A couple gripes cut in panic, rambling mission to make the third eye blink. The gods fell asleep and I stole a bit of fire, torched my idiosyncrasies, then stumbled to inspire. Soothsayer the ashes over 10 seconds of drum break, nitpick every gap in the floorboard. Let it take, give a few silver hours, it might give something back. Callous drum machine, digits, fingertips, smears of black. And it's mine. Nobody else's but mine. Nobody else's but mine. I paid for it, it's fine. I paid for it, it's fine. Nobody else's but mine. Belongs to me and it's mine. I worked for it, it's mine. Believe it. 
I dodge rap on my off days A pocket change of pace from that full-blown fade Box the hourglass till that five o'clock getaway is clean Then I can spar my neuroses and earn some self-esteem Lost count of the bouts, coughing on the round breaks Knuckle crack fidget learning to embrace your mistakes It sounds like yet another rap song just about rapping A formula for conflicts that never actually happened There's a million and one artistic wizards starving for something on their plate Horse and buggy all the way to the finish hoping something's at stake There's a million and one promoters with these empty bucket dreams claiming it's raining Dries their pockets, never what it seems I take my time, dream as deep as I can Embellish little, never say it simple Trying to hold your attention span Hoping honesty would string applause Recall the dig I die as being good at what I love King's tomb, budget sized, it's mine Nobody else is but mine. Nobody else is but mine. I paid for it, it's fine. I paid for it, it's fine. Nobody else is but mine. Belongs to me and it's mine. Belongs to me, y'all, it's mine. Nobody else is but mine. It's the little things, the day job, the milligram minutia, the dead tire pal of ragged eyes, stitches, sutures, it's putting it together just to rip it to shreds. It's muses and solo sessions, starting over again. It's building me up, it's calming me down. It's muttering to myself in freestyle when no one else is around. It's the pen and shitty paper, it's switching the medium. Highbrow puddle misses from a dirty water bleeding. It's cutting a path that leaves no trace. It's in the genre, but outside the box, it doesn't know its place. It's the details in the chess game with the devil The triumph and the rush of smashing writer's block into pond pebbles It's discomfort, it's the daps it shows It's the accusations of being dope Being able to make your passion float While I'm sinking fast is the pride of ignoring hype Twenty years of labor clocked, man, it's been half my life, it's mine Somehow everyone seems to understand, somehow intellectually understands That there's a monetary value to art they, they understand that if it's a famous person, it'll cost you money. But you know what? As soon as it's your quote unquote friend, it's like, they'll just, eh, they'll just give it away for free. It's like, no, yeah. that's not how that, that works. And, and I don't mean to take that away from the overall impression that people will give you being a, a black man, six foot five, you know, but, but I feel like that's the overall artistic thing is like oh you know it's it it's it's worthless but it's worth lots all at the same time and i don't yeah i don't know like because you know some people and and i will raise my hand will go out and buy that um 40 reissue of this special vinyl whatchamacallit with great graphic design and all these things to it and and then sometimes it's just like, yeah, I guess I'll pay a dollar on Bandcamp. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a tightrope, certainly, because I am I am a big, dumb vinyl nerd. I see a repressing of Talking Heads Remain in Light, and I'm like, yep, I got to do that. Yeah, I, of course I want that. But I'm also the person that is like, Bandcamp Day is here? Cool. What do my friends put out? Right. And I go pick up, you know, I go grab as much as I can because they're seeking to do the same for me. And that's why, you know, that that circle becomes a little bit more closed in terms of folks that sort of understand what you're getting at. And it doesn't necessarily always need to be artists, you know, or it doesn't necessarily always need to be musicians or things like that. It's just a matter of, you know, 
like supporting folks that support you uh, becomes a little bit of a, a little bit of a pothole, I suppose, mm-hmm. that people sort of stand around and wonder as to how you fill it. Right. And the answer is occasionally you throw a part of your wallet into it. But you gotta you gotta make <laughs> yeah. people understand as to how to do it. Let's just talk a little bit about your roots in Champaign-Urbana. When did you first realize that there was a scene in Champaign-Urbana that was the, even the hip hop, or, or was it some other music scene that you got? Um, there, there's of? some. Okay, this is. I'm gonna I'm gonna send this a little bit further back than the hip hop scene to explain oh. things. Uh, my dad's side of the family is from Champaign and has some very big history in Champaign. Specifically, the two big names that float around Champaign are Paul and Betty Hersey. Paul Hersey was my uncle, my grandmother's brother, and he was the first person to set up housing for black students at the University of Illinois at my family's house on 1408 Hill Avenue. The house is no longer standing. Mr. Hersey was a very impressive man and fought against a lot of injustices with respect to higher education in Champaign, specifically at the University of Illinois, both as not only a student, but also an organizer and eventually a member of the board of trustees at some point, if I recall correctly. My great aunt, Betty Hersey, was a kindergarten and young childhood educator at King's School in Urbana for the better part of, I believe, 50 years. And so... Like a lot of those roots, then like my grandmother is from Urbana. And so my dad was going down there for his childhood getaways during the summer. And then I started going. So Champaign has literally been damn near my second home since I was about five years old. Musically speaking, like it was a smokescreen for such a long time. And then there were mutterings about this hip hop group in Champaign called the Daily Bridge Club. And the Daily Bridge Club were an all-jazz-slash-hip-hop band. Three rappers, full jazz band behind them. My cousin Chris was one of those rappers. And Daily Bridge Club was blowing the fuck up. And, like, Chris, having grown up in Champaign, he lives in Chicago now, but Chris played with Daily Bridge Club for years. I think some of their sets are still floating around the internet in places, but... I remember hearing Chris rap and being like, whoa, okay. When you think about people who are not of a, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't shy away from me calling him slightly eccentric. So I'll call him that. When you look at artists and think there's like artists are slightly eccentric people. Chris was slightly eccentric. He was up there and out there, but he was one, he's still one of the kindest and most inspiring people that I've ever met. One of my other cousins who I grew up with down there, Ron, otherwise known as Showtime, was a producer in Champaign. And he was getting some very, very big recognition down there. And my cousin Blake was a rapper, otherwise known as Capone C. And so I had it around me. And then college came around. And of course, all of the family, because my family's been going to the university for so damn long, all of the family's just like, so... You're gonna put in you're gonna come put another Moses name on the bronze tablet? And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, you know, my Uncle Paul takes me around, shows me around, like has me look up at places, has me shaking hands with people. And then I notice, you know, Sullivan Hersey Moses on one of these tablets, and I'm like, holy shit, 
you know, and there's my dad and there's a bunch of my cousins. And I'm just like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to Champaign for college. I got here and within three days of me being here, I got introduced as like, yo, this is Chris's little cousin. He raps too. But the people I was being introduced by were OGs in the Champagne hip hop scene, specifically Matt Harsh. Matt Harsh knew my cousin very, very well. And Matt Harsh is one of my best, best, best buddies. I come down and there's a crew down there called Urbana Champagne Hip Hop Congress. And it's a student run organization. They throw a couple of events a year. They throw a big breakdancing battle once a year. And I'm going to get into that. Okay, so this turns into, should I say, a six degrees of separation to Kevin Bacon, but instead of Kevin Bacon, the Champaign-Urbana hip-hop music scene. Within 10 minutes of me being a quad day, I find that table and I sign up. And I'm signing up on their mailing list next to people who I would work with in my music career for the next 15 plus years. A gentleman who came down there for college named DJ Limbs. That's one of my best buddies. We came to college at the same time. We signed up at the same time. We rapped. We performed. We organized together. But UC Hip Hop Congress was where we got started. It's what got me started with being able to look around at my musical connections. To explain some of those musical connections, and God, this is about to get this is about to get ridiculous. So, the studio where I've recorded every every album that I have produced is headed up by a man named Farshid Hamidi Tusi, otherwise known as Zarafa. He's a guy that plays some incredible amount of instruments, but he's a drummer. But he was an elect he was an electronics engineer who got his degree from the U of I. He's been my studio engineer and my producer for almost every single album. Uh, or one of my producers for like every single album I've put out. The first person to ever make me beats is DJ Spinnerty, one of the foremost known hip hop DJs in Champaign. His dad is a professor at Lab High School. He went to U of I, and then he and I got signed on to a record label together in San Francisco when he moved there. The guy that taught me to DJ is DJ Bozak. DJ Bozak is from Champaign. He taught me to DJ alongside DJ Mertz, who is also from down in Champaign. So, and oh man, let's keep going. All right, moving forward a couple of years. UC Hip Hop Congress is still going. I was president. I wasn't. I was treasurer. I wasn't. And then I was the OG for the crew as a lot of later generations came in. Through UC Hip Hop Congress, I got a chance to get known as like one of the premier masters of ceremony for street dance and breakdance battles in the United States. I still do that to this day, but I, my roots got started in Champaign hosting a battle called Ill Breaks, which was thrown by my crew 15 years strong before COVID came in and fucked everything up. Bouncing around Champaign, I'm there for undergrad, I'm there for grad school. While I'm there, I make three albums, Illuminate, which is my first one, Natural Self and Natural Influence, which are two different sides of the same coin, but albums released with four years in between them. Boom Bap Savant gets started uh, with MC Escher, who is Liam Bird. He's an educator up in the city. He's an excellent person. Uh, he's also part of an all-jazz hip-hop crew called Organic Flow, who release a whole bunch of albums down there. And then as like I get older, I start to get involved with the OGs in town, Harsh and I are still doing events together. We're doing electronic music events together. Dubstep Massacre comes into play. 
I'm working a lot with one of his cousins, my best friend, DJ Belly. He DJs a mm-hmm. ton of shows for me as my DJ while I'm down in Champagne for years and years and years and years. And then somehow as I begin to lose my hair and age, I get a chance to become viewed, I guess, as one of the weird OGs of the scene mm-hmm. uh, because I guess I kept coming back. So I get a chance to meet Black Mage and Chase and Truth, a.k.a. Sandman Slim, and Truth and Clever from Mother Nature and the rest of the great thinkers, and Osser, and all of these young heads who have just this mountain of talent that makes my old bones feel wonderful because I look around and I'm like, this small-ass town still has, to this day, one of the best rock, one of the best DJ, and one of the best hip-hop scenes I have ever run into. And generationally, I've gotten a chance to seek a lot of it out and be in the front rows screaming lyrics and things like that. But getting a chance to know other OGs around town, like I recorded at Red Door Studios a bunch. Larry Gates has been a buddy of mine since Lorenzo Getz was Mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah, I won awards at the local music awards that WPGU used to throw. Oh, and I was a host on WPGU for seven and a half, like for, oh, wow. Yeah, the better part of almost seven years hosting a, an indie hip hop show on there with seven other, seven other people called beats and rhymes. Uh. And we hosted an indie hip hop show that was just so much fun to make. It had so much momentum that it lasted. Like my co-hosts carried the show forward. And then as the station changed, it's just like nothing could maintain this. And the show just died out. Mm. But yeah, man, the roots, the roots run deep, and for as often as I can, I'm trying to make them run deeper by coming back and continuing to build with these artists in these places as often as I can. That could literally be the who's who of the CU hip uh, hop <laughs> scene. Oh my gosh, like, you know, group of people that continue to contribute and be a part of the scene. It's the craziest thing in the world to hear, like, artists that I remember when they were like when they were young or younger i should say sort of being like yo i want to get you on this track like when chase popped up to me being like yo i want to get you on this track i'm like yo you're such a good rapper you do you really don't need me at all i can't imagine i'm also like so so immediately humbled by something like that because i'm like yeah i remember seeing you at open mics and Mm -hmm. and man I had no doubts back then because I'm like, this motherfucker can rap. But now, like, I hear shit. I'm like, this motherfucker can rap, (laughs) you know? Uh, Same with Black Mage, man. Like, I remember remember seeing Rogue Tendency shows back in the day and being like, there's, like, these little nerdy motherfuckers can (laughs) rap. Like, him, like, man, Voldrega and Humbly G, like, oh, my God. Especially Humbly G, who will just bust out and sing on you and it's just like jesus kid where the fuck is this coming from Mm -hmm. and now like listening to listen to black mage like with hold this l or like listen to smoke and space stuff that humbly g do is doing now i'm just like damn it's like next is like you know the next generation doesn't give me any pause it gives me hope it makes me really happy to see because people have put you know so much of their so much work into their artistry and i'm like i I don't want to have the old man moment of being like i see myself in you but i can remember those moments vividly of being like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like shit is like, I know how serious this shit is and I see how seriously you're taking it. And it's beautiful to see, man. What 
what would make a better scene, you know, and it could be in Chicago, it could be in Champaign-Urbana. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of the problems in scenes are universal. What would make a scene better? My immediate answer was going to be accountability. Accountability means a bunch of different things. It means, you know, being accountable to the messages that you put out in your music. It means being accountable to your producers and your beat makers. It means being accountable to your studios, your promises, being accountable to your fans as well. But a lot of what that accountability means is also seeing where there are problematic issues within your scene, calling them out and airing the folks out that are behind them. I love seeing Champagne's support for one another because they represent one of the first scenes, and I can expound upon this with respect to Chicago, but they represent one of the first scenes I've seen where at a show, if it's just a hip hop bill, you still like you still get local rock groups showing up to support. Like some of the local rock groups, like I'd be surprised to run it like to run into rappers there being like, hey, you're taking in a sun stereo show? Cool. You're taking like you're here for the dirty feathers? All right. I'm already three whiskeys in. Let's have a good time. I want to see that accountability expand because it makes for stronger scenes. Additionally, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see a lot less tentativeness and fear from venues. For the aspects of what's happened recently, of course, like being able to talk about venues is a little bit few and far between right now. But I also stood back and witnessed as, you know, the stage at Cowboy Monkey came down or 51 Main, which used to be the high dive, you know, stopped deciding to do things. And I'm sort of asking myself, it's like, well, where are the performance venues in this terribly, like, you know, terribly rich subgenre filled musical culture, you know, you all have in that tiny ass town. A lot of it comes from a reticence or a reluctance from certain venue owners to be able to host hip hop acts, which is universal everywhere, unfortunately, and is an, is an aspect of, I'm not ashamed to say racism, but a lot of it also comes from this idea of art not being profitable, I suppose, which is dog shit. You can't look at an artist that is literally putting time and so much effort into what's taking place with respect to making a mark inside their scene or being able to make a living from their art, which is, you know, something we we can't necessarily denigrate. You get people that are still as yet reluctant or only want to feature one kind of art or would say that certain kinds of art are not music or not musical enough for them. And often it's from people that have never done so themselves. So I would like to see a little bit of like not only empathy, but also understanding from venues and also willingness from venues to sort of step outside of their comfort zone and feature some of their own homegrown talent. It wasn't always the case in Champaign, I personally feel. There were not only more performance venues, but there was also more willingness from some, not all, some of those local venues to be willing to feature that young and or established talent. You don't have to have to be a band for 20 years in order to catch your accolades to be able to smell your flowers while you're still here. I want venues to recognize that and to foster that talent because it reflects well upon them too. And it makes them look a little bit less curmudgeonly or miserly about the fact that there's someone in this town that gives enough of a fuck to put themselves out there polished and well-produced in order to put their town on the map. And just because you don't like the, just because you don't like the genre, you decide not to feature them. Right. That's, that's dog shit. That's unempathetic dog shit. So yeah, that's a lot of what I like to see out of it. Same for Chicago too. One of the comments that I've heard from some Chicago folks is there tends to be more of like this polarized, it's it's like this venue 
It'll, yep. it'll be only a hip-hop show, and this yep. will only be an indie, or this will be folk, or this will be classic, or whatever. Yeah, and it's all it's all based around this wild idea of Chicago's quote-unquote golden era of music, which wholly ignores the fact that Chicago has had a couple different golden eras of hip-hop, and continues to. Like, some of the artists coming out of Chicago right now are absolutely fucking ridiculous. And, are ma- and like, that's small run, large run, whatever you want to call it, you know, but... Yeah, there's a lot of impression that, you know, this venue is a rock venue. Reggie, you know, like Reggie's is a rock venue. I played rap shows there before. I played DJ shows there before, you know, like uh, what Fireside Bowl is a punk venue. No, it's not. It's a DIY venue for people to have their shit put together, you know, mm-hmm. or the Metro is, you know, I've heard people would say is like, well, the Metro is a rock venue, but Smart Bar is a DJ venue. It's like, yeah, Smart Bar is a DJ venue. It's a, it's literally got a booth and a dance floor. Sure, I've sold out the Metro four times. The Metro is just a venue. Lincoln Hall is a rock venue. Sold out Lincoln Hall three times. Lincoln Hall is just a venue. You know, and I want people to be able to view that because then that ex- I want people to be able to see that because then that expands that idea of you know what sort of music warrants like the ability to display itself upon that artistic stage and not attempting to marginalize it as part of that. Trying to change the minds of small venue owners has been, has been difficult. Like, you know, we've definitely had people like, you know, I guess, I guess sort of rolling in and being like, well, we're future co-leaders of America sort of gives a, sort of gives an impression that you don't quite expect when, you know, uh, 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 a collective of eight rappers shows up with a DJ in tow you know, but at the same time, like, you know, trying to impress upon these people, it's like, hey, you're you literally are out here saying you support your scene, but you're not giving black kids of black kids or black people, black women, black queer folks, black trans folks, etc. Trans folks of color, queer folks of color, a venue upon which to express themselves when they make excellent music. That's terrible. Right. You know, and it's trying to convince folks of that that becomes difficult. Thank you again for listening to the Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is the one true nerd sovereign, AMS the Nerd King, reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Like, seriously, start looking. Now, fuckers, FCLA. have an NPR voice. It's so good. South <laughs> <laughs> on the inside.